0: What is love? Fantasy is a safe space to communicate about your fantasies and passions without fear of judgment. It is a dating app for open-minded couples and singles to experiment with your desires that don't have to be
1: secret anymore.
0: Okay. Okay. this is what is love and uh i'm mostly you'll be listening to sasha sugar previously but i'm now guest hosting um in the previous episode of what is love you uh might remember that sasha was describing her journey from her personal journey from drug use to awakening and the point that we left the show out off at was that she was at a point where she was open to different things and different languages, using language to to describe our experiences. And for many of you, uh, using that language or understanding how to discern our experiences using language is being the focus of this show, that we're going to talk about it within the terms of Buddhism, that Buddhism offers a view of love um, that is very precise. And I'm here with Michelle Valadaris. If you could introduce yourself, Michelle.
1: Yeah. Hi. um Hi. Thank you for inviting me to Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, I uh, my name is Michelle Valadaris. I'm a poet and I teach at the City College of New York and I direct the MFA program in creative writing. And I've been studying Buddhism for twenty years with the Kadampa
0: Buddhists. Great, great, and I think that uh, many people are looking for the light of knowledge, light of wisdom, light of love in their love in their life. And uh, that comes from the flames of experience. And what I think Buddhism offers is the technology to be able to use, uh, you know, technology being like the meditations, the the disciplines of, of Buddhism, and use that vocabulary to disseminate our experiences. So I'll start off with this question: Is what is love in Buddhist terms?
1: Okay, it's it's a huge question. Um, so in Buddhism and um. Uh, and all uh, all my uh, definitions, I'll be referring to my teacher's books. Um, so my teacher is Geshe Kelsang Gyatso, and uh, the book that I'm referring to is Modern Buddhism, which is available for free to download. Um, so all of Buddhist teachings, first I want to say, I'm not sure who the listeners are, but um, one of the things that Geshe Kelsang says about uh, Buddhist methods of looking at love is that um, these are scientific methods for improving our human nature and qualities through developing the capacity of our minds. So regardless of what your background is, um, regardless of where you're coming from, um, you don't have to be a Buddhist. These methods of training the mind of a meditation are going to help you. So love for Buddhism, um, for Buddhists, um, is a mind, uh, I think conventionally we think of love as these feelings. And when we experience these feelings, we like it. Um, you know, oftentimes they're mixed with minds of attachment. Mm. So for Buddhism, uh, pure love is a mind that wishes others to be happy.
0: Yeah, I think that once, my understanding of what you're saying is that once you're in that place of being where you experience love or you, or you are love that then everything, all the experiences that you're having come from that place of love, would you say?
1: Uh, absolutely. And the premise is, is, so love is a positive mind. It's a virtuous mind. And so what we we try to do as Buddhists is we try to train in virtuous minds, you know, kind of building up a storage, um, uh, like you go to the bank to 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 put your money in to to save, right? So in Buddhism, we we reg- we have a kind of mind bank, and we want to store as many positive minds and and love, compassion, universal love. All of these are on the spectrum of this wonderful mind. The greatest mind of love in Buddhism we call Bodhicitta, mm. and Bodhi is made up of two Sanskrit words: Bodhi meaning um mind of enlightenment uh, sorry uh, bodhi meaning enlightenment citta meaning mind mm. so mind of enlightenment bodhicitta that's the greatest expression of love and that's the mind that just wishes everyone to be happy so we train by training in in um uh, we just start with you know affectionate love and then we have cherishing love so these are all meditations on the step to developing and yes, I, uh, to developing love, and yes, I would agree with you that once we sort of mix our mind with these meditations on love, our love, our capacity for love increases. Yeah. And um, yeah, everything we do is infused with love. So if you're cooking a meal, or if you're writing, or if you're talking to a friend on the phone, if you're, um, you know, someone is hurt or sick and you're you're with them, all your actions are infused with love.
0: And I think that a lot of times people have that view that, oh, I only experience love under external circumstances. They look, they look at the external circumstances, and they say, oh, I only experience that love when I'm with someone or when I'm in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to shift that perspective to knowing that it's really a, a mind state, a state of mind that uh, that informs that. If you can explain a little bit more about the difference between those external circumstances being a requirement and kind of the the state of being? Yeah, yeah. It's a great point. So
1: right now we think if we're you know sort of normal beings walking around um we think that the things outside our mind make us happy um but if we check or the things uh, you know or that we have to encounter an object of love to love to feel love Mm. but if we check like using happiness, for example, like maybe the sun makes us happy and maybe summer makes us happy. But if we check, every single sunny day in the summer does not make us happy, mm. right? There are things that arise, conflict, problems, and we're unhappy. So this is just a very simple check to to make us have this awareness that it's happiness isn't. Um, arising from things outside the mind, that happiness and suffering are states of mind. In the same way, love is a state of mind, right? So, um, I mean, we can just check with the people that we love. Sometimes we love them, and sometimes they make us really angry. And sometimes the people we dislike most are the people that just previously, last week, we love the most, you know, and we can check our relationships, and we can think about our friends. And so um, it's not that... Person inherently outside, you know, that is always guaranteeing that they're the object of love, right? Yeah.
0: It seems to me that we're placing those limits on them, on our mind, our perception of the world, that we think that this is the way things are. When actually, uh, if we check, as you're saying, that uh, the way things are is the the potential of what they can be. And we we, in Buddhism, you know, I've had experience with Buddhism for the past ten years. I've been going to various classes various schools um, and understanding that the Buddha nature or Buddha seed if you could talk a little bit about the Buddha seed or Buddha nature mm-hmm. and how that plays into this yeah
1: so um, as Buddhists we believe that every single living being has what we call um, Buddha nature or a Buddha seed so all that means translated is potential it's mm. our potential to develop realize practice um, and tran- transform all our minds into virtuous minds, our full potential, you know. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot about developing your potential and transform transformational um, uh, kinds of practices. And what I love about Buddhism is that it's ancient, over 2,500 years, mm. and Buddha taught these teachings. You know, he there was a real person, Shakyamuni Buddha, in India, and he taught these practices then and they're very um, profound and deep and and what's great about uh, my teacher well, all Buddhist practices, but what's really um, I think helpful um, is, is with the teachings that my teacher has has presented to me is that I don't have to go to India and I don't have to become a yogi and yeah. I don't have to you know meditate in a cave to realize these teachings. I can do it I can realize it. Um, in my own home. Um, I yeah. can do it at work. I can do it on the meditation cushion. Uh, I can do it while taking the subway. So my Buddha potential, my Buddha nature, everyone possesses it. And when we train in different meditations, so for example, love is the topic of this show. There are different um, meditations on love. When we train in love, we increase our capacity for love. We are increasing our um, enthusiasm to practice a meditation on love. We start becoming uh, uh, more a, a person who experiences love more, feels love more, gives out more love, and a funny thing happens: more love comes back to us.
0: Yeah, like I we'll think start to feel it. Also, the way we talk about our experiences frames or or informs our experience of those events. So that sometimes people think to themselves, "Oh, I can't be a loving person, or I'm not a loving person," and that limits the ability to perceive um, or to see what's going on in the moment. That we're not mindful, that we're not uh, aware, because we got this story in our mind that uh, that this person I'll never be loving to this person. But actually, um, if we check that we experience, if we kind of that that's that narrative or that story that we have in our mind that limits our view. And, and, you know, we have this running thought in our mind and that meditation, for me, operates in a way to quiet that story and then be able to see in the moment what's really going on, would you say?
1: Great point. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Stories, beliefs. um we have an identity depending on you know who you are or where you've been or how old you are. You've developed a quite a sophisticated narrative, mm. um you know, your family history. And so we yeah, absolutely. we tell ourselves, I'm not a loving person. I'm just not deserving of love because I don't know how to love or whatever. Um, and the great thing about Buddhist meditation and particularly the meditations on love is that it's a training. We train in it, and we can train in it every day. We can sit on our cushion and train in it formally, try to increase our capacity for love. And before we end the show, we'll, you know, I'll give you a little meditation on affectionate love and um uh, increasing our capacity for affectionate love. And it will increase. Um it's not there isn't an inherently, you know, uh, uh, a person who inherently can't feel love. Yeah. everything is. Changeable, everything can be transformed, right? We're not fixed, and that feeling. Um, if when we identify with this fixed self that has, uh, you know, is not loving, we give it a label, we call it something, um, and then we believe it. Mm. You know, it's not even the perception, it's the belief that that perception of that story is true, and that can cause us incredible amounts of suffering. So, yeah, one way is to change the language and to change the belief and the way we you know the way Buddhist uh, Buddhism works is that you you actually and especially in formal meditation is so invaluable if you can find a class or if you can listen to teachings on tape or something um it's so valuable to sit on a cushion and actually give yourself the time and space to look at what you believe what yeah. do i believe you know and is it true is it not true and if it's started... not true you know, let's change it by training and, you yeah. know, love.
0: I just sort of turn to the language you use, the science, and referring to science and the methodology of science, that we, uh, we affirm our uh, belief in things, or we affirm our trust in things that have been tested. And, and what you were saying about it being an ancient tradition, that these methodologies, these uh, vocabularies have been tried by various practitioners uh, from ancient times into modern times, into current, our contemporaries, And that they've tested them and they've produced results. And those results are the basis upon which we are assured that we too can achieve those results. So, yeah.
1: Absolutely. So, the um, lineage that we receive of teachings coming directly from Buddha past from um, teacher to disciple to teacher to disciple to teach, you know, down through over 2,500 years is so powerful and um and these teachings are so precious because they many many people have achieved enlightenment mm. um, uh in Buddhist time in, you know in in and and now with geshe kelsang and and kadampa buddhism you know it's it's a tradition that's very um optimistic about the fact that we can actually achieve this this isn't some goal that it, you know um that's an ancient goal or a, or it's too big for us it actually is a practice if we do it incrementally we can begin to notice in ourselves a change and then we just increase it um so it's very practical it's i, I mean maybe easy you know i would say it depends on who the person is but basically it, the practice is easy i think What's difficult is really having faith that we can change. You know, can can I do this, or am I going to make time in my my? You know, we, everyone's very busy these days, but yeah. but everyone has five minutes in the morning. So you know, can I do it five minutes in the morning? Can I do it five minutes when I'm on the train? Can I do it five minutes before I go to bed?
0: Um, so um, sometimes I've, I've heard the saying that uh, that uh, it's life or work is achievement. Is comes from one percent inspiration and ninety nine percent perspiration. But my dad actually reversed that formula to me. He told me that it actually is 99% inspiration and 1% perspiration, right? And I began to think about that, and I I began to realize that really that's true and that when you flood your system with the faith and the joy that comes from um, uh, having achieved the, the desire, the wish to want to achieve the results, that then it doesn't become work. It doesn't feel tiresome or workful. Rather becomes joyful so that's yeah. what I think the objective of Buddhism with the joyful path that uh, we transform these adverse conditions into the path because we see it as we're so uh, we can become so full of faith, so full of uh, mental absorption with the, the object with mm-hmm. the uh, objective mm-hmm. that uh, then every moment becomes like I'm just moving towards the objective like weightlifters don't think to themselves like if I were lifting a weight for, or for something that if I were lifting a large weight. For something that seems like I, I don't want to do this, maybe I, you know, would find that very painful. But a weightlifter views that I'm going to become stronger. Their objective is that I'm going to build up muscle. So whatever weight is just up you know, pushing themselves. That inspiration, that flooding of desire to be a strong person. So, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I, I want to share a funny story. Um, that's exactly on that point. Um, so I just returned from visiting my mother, and. Um, uh, I've been meditating for 20 years and and literally that means two classes a week. I go to, you know, when I'm in, when, when I'm in the city, I go to um, uh, uh, the city temple that we have uh, in Manhattan. And, um, and my mother said, you know, the other day, um, she said, you know, are you still going to those classes? You know, haven't you learned how to meditate yet? (laughs) And, um, and, you know, on one level, Maybe she's right. On another level, the reason I keep going is exactly what you said. It is so much fun. Yeah. And it's very powerful to meditate in a group. Um, And I feel great afterwards. It's kind of like going to the gym of the mind. Like you go to your gym or your pool because you love that feeling, the endorphins, and after you've worked out. Um, So our mind actually is quite active all the time and undisciplined. Um, so we call it mind training. We sometimes call meditations mind training, but it isn't training as an occult kind of way, but but literally like kind of a, a, the way we train physically to get mm. into better shape. So we're training our mind because right now our mind is really undisciplined. You know, yeah. we might think I don't want to be angry, but something happens like a switch we're really angry very quickly. So the more you train in peaceful minds, positive minds, minds of love, minds of compassion, universal compassion, the more you have the storage of positivity. So yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's very joyful, very blissful. That's why I go. And, yeah. and also it it helps me then throughout the rest of the week, right?
0: So let's go a little bit more into, um, you were saying that different gradations of love, affection love, wishing love, and the different step ups that we can take towards leading towards compassion. Uh, and then we could kind of zoom in on defining this vocabulary and this terminology so that then pe- when people experience love, they, it's like a un, undis- it's a, something that's a, a cloud. Mm-hmm. That's in a cloud of experience. So when they zoom in and they get a very clear, dis- using discrimination, using words, they're able to say, this is you know affection, love, this is wishing love, and then amplify those aspects. Assume, yeah. Okay,
1: well, I'll start with affectionate love. So, uh, but I wanted to just actually read this very beautiful yeah. quote by um, uh, one of our main um, uh, gurus from the past, um, Jetsun Kapa. He was a he was a spiritual teacher in Tibet, and he says, "Through watering the ground of affectionate love with cherishing love, and then sowing the seeds of wishing love and compassion, the medicinal tree." of bodhicitta will grow. So right there, there are five kinds of love um, that are distinguished. Affectionate love, cherishing love, wishing love, compassion, and bodhicitta, which Mm. is the ultimate great mind of universal compassion, right, that we spoke about earlier. Um, I'll just go a little bit into, I'll start with training um, the training in affectionate love. So in this training, um, we learn to develop and maintain a warm heart, and a feeling of being close to all living beings without exception. This affectionate love makes our mind pure and balanced and prepares the foundation for generating the next level, which is cherishing love for all living beings. So <clears throat> let me just sort of repeat that again. It's it's maintaining a warm heart and a feeling of being close to all living beings without exception. The first part of the definition sounds pretty easy. Oh, I can maintain a warm heart and a feeling of being close without exception. I think for, for most people and certainly for me, when I first heard the definition was incredible, like mm. without exception, really for yeah. all living beings. Can I do that? So you can see this is just the first stage, but how profound it is as a training. And we start in meditation. We literally like meditate, you know, first you clear your mind and you you do maybe some breathing meditation. And then you start to bring um, objects of, of affectionate love. Like, who do I feel warm, uh, affectionate love towards? And first, we can always start with people that are close to you. Always start in a meditation with, you know, um, I mean, I wouldn't start with a stranger. And I wouldn't start with, you know, your enemy or if you, you know, someone that you are having a problem with. You start at your capacity. So you start with, with um, objects that you actually do feel affectionate love and just consider their qualities, consider their kindness, consider why you have a lot of affection towards them. And that, that kind of consideration will bring up in your heart, in your mind, right, um, a feeling of this warm, affectionate love. So that I'm just giving you just a little bit of a sense of mm. what one definition is and how you would train in it in meditation.
0: Yeah, I think also to comment on that, that you know we think that with, with, the, when the, with that exception aspect, that sometimes we think, or I think to myself, that I don't like this person, I don't love this person because of what they did, the action they took. But then when we zoom into it, it's like, if someone I really loved a great deal did that same action, I might forgive them because I love them, but someone who I've uh, somehow, for whatever reasons, I've I've started an aversion for, they perform that same action. Suddenly it fits into my narrative that they're the bad guy. And I think that identifying that, uh, you know, how we kind of have this um, attraction and aversion and giving language to it, saying, um, I, you know, and saying that, not thinking of it in terms of external circumstances, but as an internal state. Is very important, and I think that in this with that exception aspect is very important for people to realize that the rationales we come up with with why we don't love people who um, we make that exception for is you know is important to make yeah
1: no and uh, absolutely and and um, we have all kinds we call them in Buddhism aversions you Mm. know dislikes um, and for many reasons and we feel they're very extremely valid. Um, so it's really important to, to, you know, to understand that whilst others are performing deeds that we don't like or do like, or, you know, we, the only thing we can control, we can't control others. We can't control what comes our way when we wake up in the morning. We can't control what's happening on the news. When we turn on the news, we can't control, we can hardly control, you know, our our family or our pets mm. um, and I would say we actually we can't even control that that but the one thing we can and and Buddhism offers us the training to do is control our mind yeah. right so uh, you're absolutely right there's nothing we can do we can and and with with the outside with the exterior world mm. so what we want to do is shore up our reactions right? Mm. Um, The without exception is incredible because at some point in our training, if we commit to it, it will be without exception. So let's take an example. Let's take Mm. an example of an enemy, someone we dislike who does things that annoy us, that upset us, um, that uh, are unkind, right? Mm. One could maybe... You know, someone could ask, well, what about that person? Surely, you know, why should we feel affectionate love for that person? At some point in our training, we're going to understand, and this isn't a show on karma, so we're not going to, I won't go deeply into it, but we're going to understand that um, uh, whatever we, all our actions, whatever we put out in the world, so that person that we don't like because they're doing things that appear to our minds as unkind, destructive, whatever, that karma will create a consequence Yeah. and actually when we really understand the consequence of our actions and we see others doing things and we know the consequence of their actions are going to bring that karma back to them what's going to happen is we're actually going to witness that and instead of anger and hatred and aversion we're going to feel so much compassion i know Mm. this sounds yeah. incredible and maybe impossible but it's only that right now because we haven't trained yeah. but once we start our training we're going to understand oh my gosh that action is going to cause so much suffering in the future for that person if i did that action it would cause suffering for me mm. you know actually what's you you'll notice oh what's arising right now is compassion yeah. and that's why training that's why it's a training we're not there yet we have lots of exceptions to yeah, affectionate love, yeah. But if we keep doing it, and if we really commit ourselves to it and we understand, not only is this beneficial for my own mind, but I'm going to help a lot of other people because um I'm just going to be radiating kindness, love, affectionate love, you know, in to a stranger, to to animals. and and it's that's beneficial. That's beneficial for our. Family, it's beneficial for our circle of friends, it's beneficial for our community. You know, we're just walking around in a kind of community where we're emanating this kind of love coming from this good heart, right? The bodhicitta actually just also means good heart. We're a person with a good heart and we train in developing love, right? Increasing yeah. the capacity of that good heart.
0: And also I'll just continue a little bit on uh connecting back the karma to the love is that sometimes we see people who may be in a this there's there's instances where we see people who are we what we think getting their dog's day you know the dog every dog has a day and we think oh they got it you know but actually if we check we had the potential to be in that same situation and we think that we have um you know a lot of times there's a presumption that I would never do something like that or I would never commit that action but you know this there's, there's many actions in the past that we've done like just to give a concrete example like I pulled out my phone and then like a, something i got a charge for a subscription for something that was ongoing right and i'm like oh why why did that happen but actually it's because you know i didn't uh, i committed the action of saying oh recharge me at the beginning when right? i subscribed for the service right i said oh monthly recharge said okay and then later i decided to myself that i didn't want to continue the service and then suddenly i realized i got a charge for it so instead of getting angry i was like well i did that now I have to, you know, view that as a way to, um, you know, they call it purifying in Buddhism that mm-hmm. we're purifying all those negative views, all those negative actions, mm-hmm. and that then I'm making myself available to correct that in the future right, by unsubscribing. And this is a very uh, mundane example, but I think that it illustrates the point that uh, that when someone else when someone else does that same action, it's a very neutral. Um, is this example is very neutral. It doesn't cause yeah. a lot of charge. Yeah. But like when someone else says uh, that, you're kind of like, "Oh, I've been there. I've done that," yeah. and you empathize. And that empathy is the important thing. Yeah.
1: No, it's a great example. It's absolutely yeah. a great example because many difficult things come our way all the time, right? Mm. And it's a choice. Do we see it as, "Oh, maybe I was part of that problem," or, uh, you know, I created some action in the past that led to this consequence developing. Mm. Um, you know, also we have choices on how to view things. So we can um, think about what we don't have every day, right? Or we can be wake up and feel grateful that we have, um, you know, maybe someone's listening to this program and thinking, uh, okay, and they're really upset and they're thinking, okay, but now I have a, a bit of information on how to train in a practice that's gonna benefit me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's choices, right? We wake up and really, we have so much um, choice and we have so many options on how to view others, to view ourselves, to view our potential, to transform ourselves. And it, I don't think it takes you know huge amounts of effort or uh, time I think we can mm. do it. these these meditations are so delightful. We can do it in our daily lives. We can uh, I think it's always good to have some training on a cushion. So when yeah. I say cushion, I just mean like formally sitting in in a meditation posture yeah. because um then we kind of are really thinking through, you know, what am I uh, going to meditate on? What's my intention? Um, this is how I'm going to do it. This is the mind that will arise. When that mind, that warm, affectionate, loving mind arises, at that moment, we've got our object of meditation and we enjoy it. We yeah. just hang out there for as long as we want. And then it will go because, you know, we may, maybe we don't have a lot of power in our meditation to hold a mind of love. And then we start again. We go back to the beginning of the meditation, bring to mind people that we feel affectionate love, uh, you know, those, a mind of love uh, arises, hold the object. Eventually, the next time we sit down or after the next month that we sit down to do the same meditation, we can say, okay, I'm going to bring some of those exceptions. And we can start to bring in strangers, mm. you know, people that we don't even know. Can I feel affectionate love for someone I don't know? Absolutely. Then we, we've been training, you know, I don't know, a couple of years, a couple of months. And we think, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for the big one. I'm ready for the enemy. Yeah. I'm going to bring the enemy into my meditation and 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 just check and see can I do it? And maybe that day we find, oh, wow, I, my capacity for love is so enormous. It's so bountiful. It's free. It doesn't cost me anything. Today today I can I can love my enemy, right? Yeah. And um you know, ultimately it benefits us. I mean, the negative minds ultimately hurt us, they cause us suffering, right? And that suffering is profound and deep. So, you know, that's why I think these are not only scientific methods that Buddha taught, but they're um, so practical. And they're practical regardless of what you do in your life, regardless of where you are, regardless of where you live. Everyone can benefit, you know? And and again, I, I think then when we embody that, you know, so i I, the Kadampa meditation tradition is, a part of a tradition that, that's called the Mahayana path, where, where we're doing all these practices ultimately to benefit others. So we mm-hmm. we train so that ultimately we can help others also experience happiness and be free from suffering. That's our motivation. I really I, I see so much suffering around me. Yeah. You know, how do I get rid of it? Well, I'm going to work on my capacity to for love. I'm going to increase my love because these are, you know, I mentioned the five different paths. So the last two, you know, the last couple, bodhicitta, universal love are a mind that's so powerful, so loving, so vast that we just, we don't have to think about it at that point. If we really, um, are able to hold a mind of bodhicitta, this mind of great universal love, we are, um. We are emanating it all the time. We are just everybody that's coming in our path. You know, I I remember, I'm going to share the story, that um, the first time I heard the word bodhicitta, like I thought, okay, you know, compassion was a huge mind of love. I didn't really know there was a bigger mind. Mm. And I remember the first time that my teacher told me these two words, bodhicitta, and that this was like the greatest mind of love. I was so moved. Because I actually, up until the point, I, you know, 20 years ago that I, I hadn't practiced and I hadn't trained in meditation, I just thought, well, you're, everyone's given a certain amount and yeah. we use that quota, right? Yeah. And some people have a little more and some people have a little less. And I didn't know that everyone, regardless of where they're coming from or starting, has this potential to have this incredible um, capacity. And I really personally believe. It is the key to everything. It's the answer to everything. you know one of the one of the um, like I would just say, you know, privately, like one of the benefits of practicing love is kindness. you yeah. you, you just start to become a really kind person because you understand, you know, you understand why people are suffering.
0: And I just want to say a lot of people perceive, and maybe I perceived in the beginning uh, when I started to be introduced to in these teachings that you know, the kindness is somehow, passive or being a pushover that if i'm too kind i'm being a pushover i'm accepting everything and doing you know just that that's a perception a lot of people have but then i just want to say that um you know when your child or when a child does something that's uh quote unquote wrong or bad the reaction most parents is to not uh you know to understand that they're on that path of learning that they're on that path of um kind of adopting tech you know the the adult skills and such so we are very understanding with some people and we're not like reactionary and that um, it's not that analytic aspect or that aspect of um, understanding or seeing how this can be applied in various situations that you know it's not a uh, it's just a view that um, uh, that uh, we can be we can be assertive we can be uh, powerful and we can um react to situations in the appropriate way without coming from a place of anger we can come from a place of love and react and respond mm-hmm. in the appropriate way that it's not uh, it's not that we're allowing things bad to happen by being kind that we're like, oh this thing is not bad we're perceiving that they're doing a bad thing. I'm like uh, some people think oh being kind means I can't you know take the appropriate action in the situation to stop the negative but actually that's what, what you're saying the bullshit means that the the state of being in love state of being loved, Means that we're motivated to produce positive results for other people, mm-hmm. and that we're protecting them. And one thing that happened to me was that um, someone used someone in at work said the uh, phrase that you're like my you're like the team's bodyguard, you're like our protector. And uh, you know sometimes people can think that he she actually used the term bodyguard, but I translate that to protector. And for me, that was a very powerful moment. And sometimes people can be like forgetting these small compliments or small things that someone said, but I actually. Really focused on that. And I tried to view myself as the protector of the of the people I work with. And that uh in meditation, sometimes that can be amplified by going through the process of sitting with that feeling that you had, that small spark that I had with that um comment and that I perceived in that comment, the intention in that comment, and then uh sitting with it. And sometimes it can be a little pedantic, but you have to sit down. And like, you know, keep your back. You know, all these kind of things that we learn in med- meditative techniques help amplify. Just like if you were starting a fire and you're like, oh, I don't want to go through the process of doing things that would increase that fire. Well, then the fire is not going to increase. So I think that th- there's ways in which fire increases, um, you know, by fanning it or whatever. whatever. I'm not too versed in that technique. But you know what I'm saying? Like the point is, you know, this is how you do that. Well, yeah. You know?
1: I, I think what you the one thing you said that that's absolutely correct is that it's kindness and compassion are active. They're yeah. absolutely um, active. They're not passive, passive. They're so powerful and I loved that your your uh, cohorts and coworkers uh view, uh view you as a protector. So a a being um, that has the mind of bodhicitta once you develop the mind or uh, of bodhicitta or you're on the path of developing the mind of bodhicitta you become a bodhisattva bodhisattva is uh, a being bound for enlightenment uh and in buddhist iconography and, and symbolism if you look at the different buddhas and bodhisattvas some of them Uh, You have Manjushri with his wisdom sword. They look quite wrathful. They're in action. You have um, uh, Buddha Tara, Green Tara, with her right foot extended, ready to leap into action to help all sentient beings, right? These are active minds of compassion. Green Tara is the Buddha of compassion. Um, Manjushri is the Buddha of wisdom. These Buddhas, these symbols um, are we can view them as our potential right our active potential to increase and improve our minds of love of wisdom of action of kindness right and we and it's so powerful actually when we think of ourselves as protectors as mm. bodhisattvas like that's my path i yeah. mean i have a job and i get up in the morning and i'm a father or a mother or a cousin or a daughter but i'm really internally a bodhisattva that's mm. my real identification you know, and bodhisattva that they're beings that they'll spend their whole lives, you know, on the path to developing these minds that will get us enlightened. Yeah. So we um we want to be those active protectors. We like that. I, I know that there's a a huge trend now with superheroes yeah. and superheroines. Yeah. Um which is fabulous and, and I think you know bodhisattvas are are, are great superheroes and superheroines that um we can identify with. You know, that's our that's our cape. You know, love is our 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 cape uh that we put on our bodhisattva outfit, you know, internally. And um we uh, are armed to go into the world to help sentient beings hmm. and um and disarm them with our compassion, with our kindness, with our love, right?
0: So I think one thing that'll help I think people listening and it helped me was that um understanding that- that the view we have currently is like an illusion, that uh, there's a metaphor that's used in Buddhism that might illuminate how to break through uh, any barrier that comes up with a limited view, that we think of as limited view, that we're limited, that our capacity is limited. Um, Sometimes when we see something that looks like a snake, we see a snake, right? And we're like, fear is invoked, right? You telling someone, oh, think it through, it's not a snake, may not... um, have that magic as much as seeing that it's it's a rope, you know that's actually a rope, and then seeing that it's rope, the fear disappears in a second, you know. So once you have that ability to, I mean, there's someone who's analytic, being able to understand, you know, that talking yourself through it. But then I think the moment of seeing is something that'll break that spell, and it's not, and then you're able to act in a way, and or coming from a place that is more uh, appropriate to that situation. You're not confined by the fear or by the anxiety. So,
1: um, Yeah. So, I mean, this is a huge topic. These are the yeah. wisdom teachings of how um, we are constantly misperceiving reality, right? Mm. So you just said it, you know, like we have um, something arises, uh, we see something, we misperceive it, we see a rope, <laughs> we think snake, fear arises, we realize it's a rope, fear disappears. Mm-hmm. So in that same way, Every moment we're misperceiving reality, right? And the greatest misperception is actually how we exist. So we think the self that we perceive, we wake up, there's a self, you know, and we have given it an identity. And we, you know, that morning it's a depressed self. And we think it's real, it's fixed, it's unchangeable, right? You know, I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm just saying, so that perception is a misperception it's not the way in which um uh we exist actually you know the the self that we perceive and that we believe that perception of does us harm right we see that as is fixed we see it as existing inherently right so in buddhism through the wisdom teachings and particularly the teachings on um emptiness and the way in which things uh, really exist, which I won't even begin to go into now, but yeah. but we begin to see, oh, these are misperceptions, right? And the reason I can even come on your radio show and do a talk on increasing love is because we're not fixed, is mm. because our self has this incredible potential and is because we can um, change and transform and that can only happen because we're not fixed, we're not inherently existing. We are actually um, moment by moment, creating uh, a pure world with our positive pure minds. Right. So moment by moment, the more we train in positive pure minds, the more the world that appears to us will appear positive, pure, full of potential. Right. Yeah. Um, and and even if it doesn't appear as such, we have that power in our mind to to help others view view a situation or to transform their situations. Right. Yeah. So. It's a really important point. And, yeah.
0: um, well, what a powerful conversation happening here on Radio Free Brooklyn. So, uh, as we continue the conversation, um, I just want to say, like, yeah, I mean, that's very powerful transformative. if we choose to view it in that way. And that choice is very important that we can be convinced, we can allow ourselves to be convinced of any point if, um, you know, we just look at the evidence and then we're like, Convincing ourselves that our choice is involved in that, and being active, I think is very important. That I choose to be limitless, I choose to be full of love, I choose to be full of compassion, I choose to move towards a place of bodhicitta, and that decision—that uh, it's not anybody else's responsibility. It's it's my responsibility to have that experience for myself. So I, I invite everyone to make that choice for themselves that they would do that. You know, so any um, so I would have the question about um. Again, what the, the building up the analytic techniques and then we can kind of, we're starting to wrap up. But, okay. Yeah.
1: So, um, well, building up the, you know, building up the analytic techniques, I'm, I'm assuming you're just talking about the meditations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, so it's a, it's a, a progression, but also we can start to, um, you know, it doesn't have to go in order. For example, so um, we went over a little bit affectionate love, but cherishing love. Um, for example, in in um, one, one of the meditation that we can do, that I wanted to just um, raise is, uh, which is very powerful for me personally, is to think about the kindness of others, the kindness of all living beings. So, mm. um, you know, uh, this morning I woke up, I took my dog into the park, and um, and then I came back and and just someone built that park someone paved the streets someone you know in uh built the uh, coffee store that i go to to get my morning coffee or, mm. um someone. every single thing in my life i is due to the kindness of others actually yeah. um not most of the things that i use public transportation the city that i live in you know the places that i go to um are due to the kindness of others now one could say, Well, you know you pay your taxes or you pay for services. Yes, but people are still kind. There are many places in the world where you can't buy these services because mm. they don't exist or or there's you know um, you know they're corrupt or people's taxes don't get them uh, uh, services so every day we can wake up and we can think about the kind i mean We have clean air, you know, we have, um, I can turn on a faucet and get water that I can drink right out of the faucet. You know, I had nothing to do with that plumbing. I had nothing to do with the, um, uh, just every system that I use and that kindness really meditating on the kindness of others. So that's a very specific meditation that, that we can train on in every, to develop all kind all the different aspects of love is extremely powerful. And when we're, you know, for example, we can do that on the cushion, but we can do it as we go to work, just thinking everything that's happening to me is kind of appearing like out of a dream to help me get to my job or to help me, you know, I didn't have time to make breakfast. I can stop at a bodega and get a, you know, a bagel and cream cheese. I, um, uh, you know, if. For example, there's a lot of construction going on on the weekends with, with subways, but there are all these useful signs or, um, or you know, other, or car services or other ways we can get to where we need to go. So all of that kindness is appearing for me. And when you really meditate on the kindness of others, on how kind living beings are, what rises in your heart? Affection, cherishing yeah. love. Oh, mm-hmm. so that's another very concrete meditation sure, that we sure. could do.
0: And also the experience I had, I went on Bushwick Junction a couple of weeks ago and uh, I did an interview where I was a guest on the interview with Asha, the guest, the host Asha. And I had to kind of recount the junctures, junctions in my life, kind of tell my life story basically. And my experience is that it felt like I was recounting a dream that I was trying to remember because I was, you know, obviously I can't tell every little nitty gritty detail, but every single day and every single decision I made. But the effect of that interview and the effect of telling your life story all the time is that you're like we're kind you're kind of, you're, kind of re, you're changing it. It's very permeable, as you're saying, it's very changeable, and that um, you're changing it. You're emphasizing certain things, you're reducing emphasis on other things, and that choice creates a painting in people's minds and in your own mind that. Um, you know, we think, oh, but, you know, these things happened or that thing happened. But actually, the way you view it is the thing that illustrates it and the way that you um, act in in accordance with. So, you know, the, the idea the kind of cliche thought of being in the now and being that only the now exists is such a um, trafficked ar- area. But being able to understand that um, all the narratives we have about the past is just that it's a narrative and that we kind of can perceive the moment as the past existing in this moment Mm -hmm. Uh, right now we have the whole the whole future and past in our mind in in an instant you know Mm -hmm. and being able to see that and being able to see how we can break free of the limits that we've placed on those narratives so yeah yeah.
1: someone uh, a buddhist once said to me if you want to know what happened in your past look at your present moment and if you want to know what's going to happen in your future look at your present moment so those are you know, from the teachings on karma. So, yeah, yeah we, we, if we, I mean, we always want to know the story, right? Yeah. What's going to happen and what, you know, what will happen in the future. But really, it's a moment to moment arising. And and as you said before, we're changing it, develop, mm. you know, depending on the minds that are arise. So if positive minds are rising, you use the word purification, which yeah. is often used in Buddhism. And it's it's actually a really wonderful word because it means that I reacted to this thing in the past, this negative thing and with negativity and it's coming up again. Mm. But if I change my reaction, I purify it. It's gone. Mm. Like I can even laugh. Oh, look, this thing that always happens to me makes me annoyed. You know, uh, I'm going to laugh at it today. I am not, you know, so my husband, for example, this is a, just a funny story, uh, loves to watch. He's Scottish and he loves to watch, um, soccer, football, I guess they call it. (laughs) Um, Uh, and it uh, on sunday and so the other day but we live in a very small brooklyn apartment and you know my my desk and writing desk is work area is in the living room where the television is and so i said you know how long is the soccer season cuz he watches all week the- <laughs> yeah. i think he was watching manchester and liverpool <laughs> today um you know and he he looked at me with a straight face and he said november and i said it's january yeah. <laughs> and then i thought wait stop you know, this is his one enjoyment. Yeah. He works. He's, he's a carpenter who works really hard. This is his one enjoyment. And yeah. I can find a coffee place to go and work yeah. on Sunday mornings, you know. Um, I I was laughing because it's every Sunday, it's the same reaction. I'm like, oh, oh the great yeah. the TV, you know. I don't um, particularly care for it, but I'm having the same reaction. Whereas if I just change my reaction yeah. it's not gonna be a problem anymore yeah right? it's like
0: kind of like when you uh sometimes the experience i have is that when you read about something like let's say for example you're reading about a cat and you you know you're all the descriptive words of a cat and all these instructions about what a cat is but then seeing the cat and putting that label of the cat makes that connection and you're able to experience that this oh this is what a cat is in reality and hearing the meow of the cat so like in that instance i think that you know, being able to say, "Oh, these are the trainings of patience," and being able to remind yourself of the patience and acceptance and love, and putting those labels on it helps because then it makes that direct connection between your experience and uh, the teachings of the writings in the book. You know.
1: Well, you started the show, and you wanted very specific definitions, and yeah. and I think the inherent or the underlying question is why does Buddhism have so many definitions? Yeah. Or something that's oh, you know. Like you, you could say, "Well, I, I know what love is." You right. know, it's a, we. There are many songs on love. We heard one coming in. We're going to hear one coming out of the show. Um, why doesn't? Uh, why is Buddhism so specific? I think the reason is is because it's very beneficial beneficial for us to know exactly what we're doing with our mind, right? Mm. So when we are. Um, when we know the definition and when we know what we need to do with our mind and we know how to train, we know when we've accomplished it, right? If it's really large and amorphous and general, we don't know whether we're in the vicinity. We don't know what to do once we get there. Uh, The reason I like Buddhist meditation so much is that um, there are stages of it. It's not just uh, about feeling something. It's about um, setting an intention, understanding what the analytic meditation, the process of getting to that state of mind, when the state of mind arises, holding it, holding that state of mind, and then at the very end, dedicating. So the specific definitions work with the specific stages of the meditation process. Yeah, And then we can walk away and say, okay, it wasn't a great meditation, but I did it, right? We, we're training. It's like when you're running a marathon, you don't run 24 miles in the first- Oh, is that a marathon? I think it's around 20-something miles. Yeah. Right? I, I don't run mar- oh, marathons. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. But you you start running a couple of miles, you train, and you increase your weekly
0: mileage. Uh,
1: Meditation is the same thing. Same process.
0: Great, great. It's, I hope that people feel very inspired by this conversation to uh, continue to train and, and work on that. And I just want to give a, a thank you to Sasha Sugar and give a shout out to uh, my, my regular show is Choose to Power Show, which is on Thursdays. At 9 a.m. uh as I waited for Brooklyn, and that's the, the show I normally host. And hope you guys will tune into that. And and uh, the the conversations I had in that in that show have been very transformative and very uh, very helpful. And I hope that you guys will view that as well. So we'll end with the Beatles "Within You and Without You."
1: sure